Welcome to Episode 9 of the Leadership in Context podcast with Keith Tusi. Today, Keith continues a series of conversations about discipleship. Welcome to Leadership in Context, a conversation on leadership in the context of the local church. Keith Tusi is the apostolic team leader of the Network of Related Pastors. He loves the church and its leaders. You will be empowered and equipped to walk in fruitful ministry as you listen to Keith put leadership truths in the context of the local church. For show notes, email podcast at nrpastors.com. And now here's Keith Tusi. In our last couple discussions, we've been talking about discipleship and trying to bring some definition and structure to a word I think that is really loaded with vision and purpose and for too many people, I think, loaded with disappointment, unfortunately. Last conversation, we talked about the disciplines of discipleship, that the word disciple is rooted in discipline. And we talked about five disciplines that I suggested, and of course you could add more, but prayer, study, service, giving, and witnessing were the five that I recommended that would be included in any discipleship model or tract or teaching that you're using. So let's talk about discipline for a minute. Discipline starts at the top. And let me be candid. It's unfortunate that in many churches that off-humor comments are made about the pastor who is not on time, who forgets things, who doesn't show up, who doesn't follow through, And many times these things are said in a loving and teasing way, but unfortunately, sometimes there is more truth to that sarcasm than maybe we believe. Let me say it clearly. Discipline starts at the top. If you want a culture of discipline in your leaders, if you want a culture of discipline in the church you're leading, then that discipline starts at the top. And that discipline, when it comes to discipleship, means effective planning and clear executing and making what you say is a priority, a real priority. Forgetting about things, not planning things, not orchestrating things, not having things on the calendar, not contacting people, not having materials prepared or an agenda for a meeting, uh, that is a death blow That's the culture of death and not the culture of life. Effective discipline, planning, execution, and priority are really visionary tools. You can't have vision without those things. And I'm concerned that many discipleship efforts fail because the discipline does not start at the top. So here are some questions I've received as a a result of our conversations. How often do you meet? Well, I cannot conceive of meeting less than every week if you're really trying to disciple somebody. In a regular church narrative, we're meeting once a week with the congregation just to encourage them and help hopefully equip them. How much more should we be meeting with the leaders that we want to be seeing as leading the next generation and leading the ministry that we're now leading? So I would meet every week with the whole group And then depending on how large your group is, rotate meeting individually with the different members. Whether you've got four or 14, there should be 
a regular ratio that you're meeting. I'm meeting with two or three guys, uh, you know, for lunch this week. I'm meeting for with two or three guys for breakfast next week. In other words, you're you just got a rotation that you're doing. It's not based on need or crises. You are doing it on purpose. You're modeling discipline. You're modeling intent. You're modeling purpose. See, these are culture things that you want to get down into people. Uh, I think to do it any less than that may actually be self-defeating. If you're saying something is important and we're only going to meet you know, every other week or when we get around to it or once a month or once a quarter, or, or that's not discipleship. It might be teaching, but I don't believe you can do discipleship in that. Uh, yes, you can take an interlude. You could say we're going to meet for the next six weeks and then we're going to take a week off. And uh, Or we could say we're going to meet even something like we're going to meet every Sunday, uh, and then the fifth Sunday we're going to take off, or the first Sunday we're going to take off. So there's a pattern, uh, and if you want to have a little break in there. People often ask me, when did we meet? Well, we developed a culture of meeting early on Sunday morning. Our church started at 10 o'clock. I met with my leaders from 8.15 to 9.15. That was a, the hour of power. It was great. We had... Uh, very clear things that I would like to cover in that meeting. It was not all teaching, maybe 15 minutes or 20 minutes of teaching. It was inquiring of the guys what was going on in their life, and it was talking to them about their daily functions in ministry. And then uh, when we were together in a smaller group, maybe a couple of us having breakfast or one of us together, uh, it would be talking about more personal items. Uh, there needs to be a sense of purpose, and in that sense of purpose, there just needs to be a little dash of urgency. Not chaos, but a little dash of, of urgency to make your vision seem important as it really is. So I believe in meeting less than that simply will not work. I think it miscommunicates the message entirely. And I believe if you'll call men to a clear, energized meeting that they will come, and quite frankly, the ones that won't come or can't come, then they've removed themselves. So you've got to move on from that, and hopefully some of them will catch up to you. What are some of the other things you can do, especially in a meeting context with your leaders? One of the nice things about meeting on Sunday mornings is when we had five-fold ministry in, they were always in our discipleship meetings. Whoever was coming in to minister, I would tell them ahead of time, I want you to meet with my key guys. I want you to download a life message into them, challenge them about something uh, that you believe is critical. Uh, sometimes I'd tell them some of the things we were going on and they would pick up on that. But I wanted them to be around them. I wanted them to be connected to them. I wanted them to have some familiarity with them because if these men are connected to me, and we're moving forward together, and these men in my church are connected to me, then it's my job to connect them all together. And I believe you'll form a very healthy relational team when you model that relationship. When you say, yeah, we're going to have Brother Rod's going to be coming in, and he's going to come in and have breakfast with us Sunday morning, or or we usually just had coffee, that type of thing. Uh, 
and he's going to share some principles with us. He's going to share some truth. He's going to share testimony. And they would get to know Brother Rod. So if they ever felt like they needed to pick up the phone or or if he ever gave them a prophetic word that they wanted to talk about, they would see that connection between him and me and how we operated. I wanted them to partake in that. Uh, so often pastors are concerned about losing people. Uh, well, one of the ways you don't lose people is you connect them intentionally to the people that you're connected to. And I think you have a much better chance of them staying connected, even when they might have, you know, something they're wrestling with regarding you, your ministry, the local church. You know, people do go through wrestling times. It doesn't make them bad. Sometimes it just makes them confused. But I believe the more they're connected to the guys you run with, they're not going to want to give that up to go their own way and do their own thing, even if they have a great idea. Uh, it also models the whole principle of venting up. We teach that very strongly, and that was one of the disciplines. You never vented sideways. You know, if your chimney clogs and you vent sideways, you die of carbon monoxide poisoning. Uh, but if the carbon monoxide goes through the roof, it doesn't hurt anybody, doesn't do any damage. It is dispelled in the air, and everybody is healthy, and everybody is good. So we teach them to vent up in those meetings. And often in those meetings, I would challenge our guys to ask whoever it was, ask them a hard question. Uh, tell them something that's on your mind. Tell them something you're struggling with with me even, or our church. And uh, by modeling that and by demonstrating that, uh, you really uh, accomplish something, I think, very deep. Again, a, a deep cultural thing that goes on. Uh, another way that you really use a meeting to connect these guys to their vision and their purpose and your vision and your purpose is by including them in extra local church meetings. Like the Bob Conference, for instance, is, I believe, a critical one. If I was discipling somebody, I would do everything I could to get them to that conference. I would, uh, you know, help arrange babysitting. I would... Uh, teach them how to ask their, their boss for time off. <laughs> I would maybe throw some money in the pot, you know, whatever I could do to get them there because I wanted them to be there again, not just for the teaching, but for the connection, which I believe is really critical and the vision. The other thing you could do with extra local church training is if you have a guy that is really pursuing one area of ministry, you know, there's a conference going on or a seminar going on or some training he can get, you offer to partner with them in that. Now, I was always a big believer in self-investment, and so I always like guys to ante up a little bit, put some of their own skin in the pot, so to speak, and we as a church, and me personally, would help them to do other things, to attend maybe some of those conferences. You know, it might be a small group conference, it might be a missions conference, it might be a prayer conference, it might be an administrative conference. It might be an evangelistic outreach that you want them to go and witness because they've, they're walking in some of that. But that's a great way to develop that discipleship team that you're working with. Look at ways to develop them outside of that meeting and outside of your jurisdiction, but yet with your blessing. And the other area is on-the-job training. Uh, being beside them, inviting you to be beside them, uh, including them in things you're doing, giving them an opportunity, uh, working with them. 
And this would include their function. One of the things we did as a group when we met discipling is we would talk about different guys, their functions. You know, you might have uh, most of our guys all did double duty. They were small group leaders and they were worship leaders and they were the usher leader or they were the mission director or whatever they were. You know, in most churches, your best leaders are going to wear more than one hat. So sometimes in that meeting, I maybe I knew of something or maybe I didn't know of something. I just said, well, you know, hey, John, how's it going with that that area that that uh, widow's outreach you're doing? Maybe he'd bring something up and I'd say to the guys, now guys, you speak into that. What do you think? Give him some counsel. And, uh, you know, so sometimes those meetings would take on like that. But that was training them so that on-the-job training uh, aspect is really, really important, I believe. And you need to give some place and time to that and let the other guys jump in on it a little bit. And then the last thing along this line I would mention to you is come up with creative ways to include the wives. Depending on the age bracket, if you have a bunch of men or a group of men that are past the time when their children are living at home, it's a lot easier for the wives to be with them. Uh, My wife would meet with the women. Uh, She wouldn't meet with them every Sunday, but she would meet with them a lot of Sundays at the same time we were meeting or at different times. Uh, It wasn't always just their wives. Sometimes it was other women whose husbands weren't representing that leadership group. We were never legalistic about that. But with those men you're meeting with, if they're married, you do want to meet with their wives from time to time. Invite them over to your house. Guys, open your house. Make your house a safe place. Bring them over for, you know, to watch the ball game after church and, and uh, you know, have, have sandwiches together or something. Do that, do that once in a while. That's something you can do sporadic. And if somebody can't make it, they can't make it. Maybe pay the babysitter to watch the kids at the church if you think that that would be a blessing to certain people at that time in their life. But again, that discipline coming down from the top, strategizing, thinking, preparing, working on it, these are really, really big things. Discipline starts at the top is the message of the hour, what I'm sharing with you. And you've got to be the person that orchestrates that and brings order and clarity into this discipleship process. God bless you. Thanks for sharing this time with me together. Today, Keith continued the conversation about discipleship. He shared some of the things he did as he was discipling his leaders. He also reminded us that many discipleship efforts fail because the discipline doesn't start at the top. Effective planning, clear executing, and making sure what you say is a priority really is a priority. These are all visionary tools that are necessary for effective discipleship. Thanks for listening this week to another episode of Leadership in Context with Keith Tusi. Join us next week as Keith continues to put leadership truths in the context of the local church. As always, subscribe, like, rate, and share our podcast. For show notes or to ask Keith a question, email podcast at innerpastors.com. If you would like more information, check out the blog at innerpastors.com backslash blog. Make sure you follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Inner Pastors. See you next week.